Welcome back, everybody, to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person of the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the players at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And we want to welcome you back to another episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. This one particularly today, we are going to be focusing on the start of a new series. We're going to call this series the Divine Spotlight Series where we, as the Dungeon Masters of this podcast, we pick a couple of gods that we both really like. This week it's Pelor and Oli Demara, uh, and one god that we've created for our own pantheons of gods, which, Mitch, we're going to be sharing one of yours today, and which one is it? That we're Erebus. Sharing? Erebus. Which you might recognize uh, that name. We'll talk about yeah, it Yeah, we'll talk on. about it a little bit. In a little, in a little while, we'll get to it. Uh, but first, like we always do in every single episode... We have some shout-outs. Shout so, outs. Mitch, you want to start us off with yes. the first one? All right, so the first shout-out that we have, another five-star, uh, is entitled Great Resource, and it's by NateHam44. NateHam says, I have been DMing on and off for about 20 years now. Long time. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, I think the Dungeon Master's block is quality stuff. Everything they have talked about, I have had to deal with over the years. I would even go as far as saying, for a new DM, it is a must-listen. In capital Keep, letters, yes. must-listen. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Thank you, NateHam44. We appreciate those yeah, words. Yeah, appreciate it. I think we're a must-listen. I think so. <laughs> new and old. We actually listen to our own podcast. We do. Yeah, yeah I like it. <laughs> we're so wise. We gotta, you know, keep soaking it up. <laughs> or we're just very egotistical. One of the two <laughs> that, things. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> no. uh, all right, the next one comes from Kyan1234. Uh, it says, great information. It's a five, another five-star review, so thank you for that. This is why we said. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So full of ourselves. Yeah, right. Uh, it says, really love the show. I was about to start a campaign when I stumbled onto the show. I'm now using the advice to help build a more interesting land. Well awesome. done. We yeah. like that. We like hearing that type of stuff. We, we that's what we that's why we started this podcast yes. is because we want to help people create the best possible lands, the best possible adventures, uh, and just be able to just stir up creation within each DM. That's what that's, that's what like I love about D and D is that it's a game that allows everybody to be that creative and to create entire worlds and like you think about like how many like worlds have been created because somebody has through D and D been like yeah. I want to create this and like we you know we all fall in love with like Middle Earth and all these things that we know about but there's so many worlds out there that are awesome because individuals are making them for their games and that only their players will ever experience it. Yeah. That's why we, we love to hear from you guys and you guys like let us know uh, through emails and stuff. We love to hear all your stories. Um, but yeah, it's it's just such a great game. I was uh, sharing with a friend of mine. I went out to lunch with him the other day. And I was saying that, you know, I didn't say that I played Dungeons and Dragons necessarily with him, but I said, yeah, when I was in high school, I just used to make up random stories like Lord of the Rings in my head to help yeah. me pass the time because there were some classes <laughs> oh, that I was totally. super bored in. Yeah. And I was like, what <laughs> stories could I create in my head? And this is Dungeons and Dragons became a perfect outlet as a dungeon yep. master to finally get all of those stories out into the Dungeons and Dragons yep. world. That's where I got a lot of my inspiration. I remember, from. yeah, I. Uh... Dungeons Dragons is a good outlet for that. I remember yeah. when I was growing up, like I'm the oldest out of all my brothers, and I went the uh, Christmas just passed, and I went home and I talked to my brothers, and it's like, you remember when you guys were really little, and I was like a teenager, and I'd take you guys outside and we'd play, and like I'd let we'd like play like Lord of the Rings type games, and I'd like pretend to be a troll, and I'd like 
just I just, it was just a great excuse to beat the crap out of my little brothers, <laughs> but then I'd let them kind of win at the end. Right, but right. we're so video game minded, we'd be like, all right, I'll I'll let you guys level up, and they're little, so they're like, we level up. Yeah, like, right. What happens? You guys leveled up, dude. Yeah, you're stronger <laughs> now. Cool. <laughs> all right, let's get back to me beating you up. Yeah, right. <laughs> but like, this is a lot less weird than doing yeah. that. So I'm glad D and D gave us that outlet. It did. It did. <laughs> but all right. So uh, thank you for those um, five star reviews. Let's move on to story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns, our favorite moments, what we learned about ourselves, and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy story time. Alright, so for story time, Chris, uh, we have a story that doesn't exactly have to do with a god, but it is connected to one of the gods, right. uh, where you have a story about a demigod that appeared in one of our campaigns. This was a demigod called Ramek, and he is—he was the son of Kord. Yeah. And so this was in our Sons of Bastion campaign, and all you guys were in this land called Thessia, and you basically had to somehow help the this rebel group overthrow this king of this land who had basically he was not the rightful heir Ramek this guy who you didn't exactly know who this guy was Ramek was the rightful heir and you had to overthrow this he was like the leader of the rebels too yeah is that who he was yeah he was the leader of the rebels and so you guys like went to meet him in basically these ruins and this guy is like sitting on the stone throne and you guys were almost captured in a sense because I didn't know exactly yeah, why you were no there. Yeah, I had no idea who we were. Um, and so they brought you before this guy Ramek and Ramek had a, a guy who was like his general and like spoke for him and he just sat there and like just stared at you guys all pissed off and he's like shirtless, he's got a huge club. He's uh, menacing looking. Yeah, he's got, he's sitting in a stone throne, he's got a, a lion's pelt that he's wearing like yeah. the massive, basically I'd found concept art for the movie Hercules before oh, way yeah, before yeah. the movie Hercules was even advertised so I was like this is sweet and then Hercules came out I was like oh that's totally the concept <laughs> art I'm choosing yeah. uh, but it, good, what was good was the Hercules concept art was pretty different than what he actually yeah. came out looking for yep. it was before like the rock was even chosen but it like made a good like oh, picture right. of, I forgot like, the rock did that yeah it was a good <laughs> picture of this son of cord kind of character yeah. and so basically your first impression was this guy's this guy looks like a barbaric dude, like. But this other king is this is our this is our job. This other king is not a good guy. He's allied with other forces that we know are the big bads of this campaign. So we got to overthrow him. And this this night was a night of just craziness. Like it we was. had two characters die because they basically made decisions. This was how the would night, you explain it? They were the DM, they were so. stupid decisions. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> they were because that was the one where Mark's character died, right? Yes. He like slapped the guard. Like yeah. he was what part badger? He wasn't or had part been raised badger. He by was badgers. That decide that he decided the backstory was that he was raised by badgers. Yeah, and if you know anything about badgers, badgers are mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he had like if he got hit or something like that, he went into a rage or something yeah. like that. But it was almost to the point where he was just like. I got touched. I'm going into a rage. Yeah, this like this guard was suspicious of them, and like he kind of tapped him with his sword and was like, "Get out of here!" He turns around, he kills him, and I'm like, "What am I gonna do with like you? Attack him? You killed him? They like him and one of the other characters get chased down, and this other player's character, unfortunately, 
I like gave him this hint of just like dude just get out of here like don't go down with the ship yeah, yeah. and he stood up for him and there was nothing I could do and which well, it's like it's like good for you to stand up for him yeah. and he was like I don't want to leave my buddy behind and so both of them were thrown into the basically the lions the, yeah, well, yeah. Not, yeah into a big coliseum and eaten alive by yeah, lions yeah and then so that was the, those two <laughs> and then you and Caleb's character a dwarf uh, what did you try and get into the castle? Yeah, Do you remember we, how you you guys were arrested? I don't remember how you were arrested though. Well, I don't remember how we got arrested. I remember we just we had a choice between we were supposed to get the help of one of the generals. And one you, of the generals you knew was one of the generals be, was it was part of the rebels' cause, but you didn't, didn't know which one. Which one. <laughs> and for some reason, I didn't. I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but I was like, I, oh, I remember what I was thinking. I went to the guy who worshipped Heronius because yeah. Heronius is all about order and stuff like that, and I was like. This guy may, for some reason, think, you're right. The king that's on the throne <laughs> isn't the right guy. We need to make this the way that it was. So I was like, I'm just going to march into his office. And this is, I remember what it was. I had rolled all of my, like, diplomacy checks and bluff checks really, really well the whole point getting in. So my guy was pretty charismatic. I think he had, like, an 18 charisma or something like that. Like, really good. He walks in, gets all the way up to the main general's, like, they're just like, yeah, we'll show you in there. We'll get you in there. Like, they were, like, they were all really nice getting me in there. And then it was I failed a couple of roles when I was in front of the general, and he like ended up throwing us in jail. Yeah, is what you it guys was. picked basically the general that was basically this took place in a futuristic setting in my world, and Heronius has changed from lawful good to lawful neutral now. But I didn't and, know that. Yeah, that. and this character who followed Heronius was the exact opposite of the general you wanted to right, pick. Right, right. And so you you went into it strong, and it's funny because then you guys like got to talk to the other general and oh or or you were trying to decide like which gen other general you wanted to talk to and like you almost picked the wrong choice you basically almost made every single wrong choice this whole night yeah, that yeah. any players can make eventually though yeah because i remember at one point in time you were like that took way longer than what i was <laughs> thinking it was going to do yeah yeah eventually though you guys found the right general and you didn't. The funny thing was, you were sure that this guy wasn't the right yeah, general because yeah. he was doing such a good job of like hiding his the fact that he was mm-hmm. part of the rebels' cause. Like he basically came in and started like screaming at you and basically well, playing bad cops. Yeah. yeah, and eventually it came out because you guys didn't give in to his demands. He was like, "All right, I think I can trust you guys." Yeah, he asked us like some question. I don't remember what it was, but we answered it in a way that he was like, "Oh, all right, I can trust you guys." Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like he like happened. made the guards leave the room, pretending he was gonna like beat you or something. Yeah, like yeah. That. And basically, there was like a underground passageway that he was gonna lead you through to get the other uh, the army of rebels into the city, yeah. um, into the throne room yeah. to be able to overthrow the king who shouldn't be king. Meanwhile, in all of this, one of the only character uh, Mark from Washington's character, I believe it was, did not get arrested, did not get thrown to the gladiator pit. Uh, with lions and yeah. eating alive. He was the only one. He's like, what do I do? So he, like, hightailed it out of town, jumped on a horse, ran back to the rebels, and basically went up and was like, we screwed up! And this Ramek guy was so pissed off. And at this point, you're just like, rebel leader looks pretty cool, looks pretty mean, pretty stern. Uh, but he gets up from his throne, and he hasn't said a word to you guys. 
But he, Mark, Mark's character says, we screwed up. But he gets up, he moves over to Mark's character, he punches him, and Mark's character flies like 30 feet across the room. Yeah, that's right. And I, this moment of Mark's, Mark from Washington's face just going, what the heck yeah, just yeah, happened? Yeah. Like, that's not normal. Yeah. And so he knew something was up. Basically, all this happens, and you guys are like, what's up with this guy? This guy's way stronger than normal. And the rest of you, while this is happening are going down into the this tunnel and there's a huge snake in this tunnel that's being called up by basically by this guy called Gannicus and he's he's basically worm tongue to the king. He's like right. the high priest but he's a bad dude and he was using the snake rumbling to like he'd like break open these berries and these blood berries and it would smell like blood and the snake would rumble and he'd break open these he'd rumble the whole palace because nobody knew the snake right. was underneath knew the temple of science. Yeah. He'd do that whenever he was making a prophecy that he wanted the gods to respond. And so the whole palace would rumble and the king would be like, the gods have spoken. Listen to Gannicus. And so it was this whole sh- uh, charade that um, was getting him to, like, with the king who shouldn't be king, like, really motivate them to move into the direction that you guys knew was the bad direction. Right. Helping your enemies and everything. So you guys go into this temple and you see Gannicus and he's, like, doing stuff. And you're like, you kill him. He had a big battle with him and a couple of the priests, and then all of a sudden the snake like it chases you guys yeah, yeah, yeah. out of this out of this hole. You guys get out, you meet the army, and you're like, "We have the tunnel, but there's a there's huge a snake, massive in there. snake in there." You guys have not seen Ramek punch Mark's character across the room. He basically just keeps on going, and you're like, "There's a snake in there." Yeah, right. <laughs> there's a giant. Snake we have no idea who he is. Like this thing yeah. is bigger than a dragon. It's just this huge snake. That's the tunnels underneath were created by the snake. Yeah, yeah. Ramek goes in. You guys get into battle. I think all of you beat Ramek's initiative, so you get a couple hits on. The snake's just, like, ripping apart other members of the right. army. Ramek goes up with his club and just busts his club across the snake's face and, it like, rips through his flesh, and the snake just drops. Yeah. And you guys, all right, move on. Yeah. And then you took back the city, and Ramek was put back on the throne. The country was now going to fight against the enemies that you knew were the, ba- the other nation that was bad. Right, because Utopia was—they were called the Utopia, right? Is yeah, they was? had named—they had named their city Utopia. That's what it was. And, yeah, uh, their main capital city. Yeah, uh, and the empire was the Utopian Empire. Right, and they were trying to take you know, over any, the whole world. Yeah, <laughs> any place that names themselves Utopia, you know, they gotta be you bad, have right? To be a little suspicious. <laughs> you have to be a little suspicious. Yeah. How is it Utopia? Yeah. So you guys, through all of these crazy mishaps and failures, you did finally figure out a way to get this guy on the throne but it was a cool night of like i love that moment where mark's character got punched across the room and just realizing what's going on at the end of the campaign i believe the general that spoke for him said something about all hail ramek son of cord and all of you guys are like oh Oh, all right i got it now yeah because he didn't reveal that he was the son of cord at any point in time throughout that whole thing yeah but it was cool it was a lot of fun and since then i've much I've been much more like I love the idea of demigods and yeah. they've been more prevalent in uh, my world and you guys have met at least one other I have a feeling I know which one it was probably yeah you probably do was it the um, one riding the Cerberus was he course. a demigod okay yes. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I figured um, he was but yeah so I think demigods are really cool and if you haven't put them in your campaigns think about it they're really good story hooks yeah. they're really awesome NPCs like you can't help but like a character or hate a character that's 
a demigod yeah. depending on who yeah. and another cool thing is you know you have to realize that a demigod doesn't have to be a doesn't have to be exactly like their parent they yeah. could be a they could, they be, could be a rebellious yeah, demigod they can hate like their parent and do the exact ob- opposite of their parent and like they got an evil parent they want to be good or vice versa but they would probably have powers associated yeah. with their parent but yeah. uh, demigods are cool use them in your stories alright ready to move on to the meat I'm ready for the meat I'm starving we ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Carving up! Just the mouthful! No! Looks like meat back on the menu, boys! Alright, so this is our first divine spotlight. Like we said, we're going to focus on the gods Pelor, Oladamara, and Erebus today. Uh, so the first god that we're going to be talking about is we're going to talk about Pelor. And so as we look at these gods, we're going to talk about uh, who these gods are, how their followers are affected by their dogma, and we're also going to talk about ways you can use these gods in your adventures, in your campaigns, in your worlds. So let's talk about Pelor first. Pelor is a god from the world of Greyhawk. He appeared in first edition, so he's been in D&D from the very he's been beginning. been around for a long time. Yeah, and he has just continued to be a huge factor in all the oh, yeah. uh, editions, all the way up into fifth edition, <laughs> which I know uh, we were looking into fifth edition gods, and basically from what we understand, the sense of fifth edition is there aren't exactly specific fifth edition gods. It's more whatever god you choose you kind of want to add into your pantheon more than being uh edition specific it's more campaign setting specific which is pretty cool yeah but yeah so pelor has been with us from the beginning he's still going strong he's still a a big god a big focus of DD. i think a lot of players are familiar with pelor yeah pelor to me seems like one of those like People have, for the most part, heard of him before yes. if you play Dungeons and Dragons in any sort of way. Yep. So, uh, one of the first things that we're going to talk about with Pelor is just some aspects of Pelor. So, uh, Chris, what are some titles of Pelor? One of the first titles that comes to mind is the Sun Father. Yep. There's always, when you think of Pelor, there's always the Sun is one of the pictures that goes alongside with Pelor. Another one of the names is the Sun God, the Sun Lord is another one. And the Shining One is another one. One of the things that we're going to do when we talk about these gods is we are going to talk about how we have used them in our world and how we've some things we've shifted over and changed. Because one of the things we talked about is that some of these gods, there's not, especially if your only source is the internet, there's not a lot of material on them. Yeah, so some if, of them have way less material yeah. than others. So yeah. when you're hashing these guys out for your campaign, it's good to throw more stuff in for yourself. So we're going to give out ideas that what we have done. I bring that up now because in my world, he also has another title. He is known as the Father of Mankind. And we'll talk about that more when we talk about his description and why he has that title. Right. But yeah, so that's, that's one of his titles. Pelor is one of the gods that is known as one of the greater powered gods. So he's greater is like the highest there is as far as power is God. So he is up there. He is one of the strongest gods there is. Pelor uh, also, if you look at the alignment, a lot of places on the internet will say that he is a, a neutral good uh, type of god. His portfolio includes sun, light, strength, and healing. His domain would center mostly around community, glory, 
good healing strength and of course the sun yes of course <laughs> of course um i've also noticed other places they have travel as one and in my world i've added nobility into pelor's domains oh, okay um, cool as far as superiors pelor has no superiors yeah. he is superior yeah. yeah also one thing to add into this was kind of interesting to me some of the websites had aliases that they also go on so there's titles but then there's also other names yes, that, yep. that gods might be known as and he's got some uh, oh, soul is soul one, is one. Yeah. uh al asrin is yeah. another one these and, are names that i believe that different people groups uh right yeah within the greyhawk world no he is so, a he's a flan or flan or however you say it deity yeah, yeah. Um, in the Greyhawk yeah. world, but there's other people groups known as different yeah. things. So Soul, yeah. and what was the other one said? Uh, Al Asrin and Arifar. Yeah. So you, I mean, in your world with those aliases too, you may even, if there's some sort of indigenous group or something that worships Pelor, those names could be used instead of, like, they may not call him the Sun Father. Yeah. They may say, we know him as Soul. Yeah. I mean, you, you might, may take you it straight up, from the Greyhawk. You can take that idea with any of the gods and give them another name. Yeah. And, uh, your players might meet these these foreigners that worship this god and they call him something else and it might even be a god that one of your players characters worships but it might take them a little while talking yeah, to them yeah. and go wait wait a minute like you worship the same god as yeah. i do. You just this is what we name. call and this is what you know yeah which make. is which is interesting something for uh yeah you to throw into your campaign yep. into your world so if you were to describe pelor a couple of sentences this is how i think most people would describe Pelor. He says he is depicted as an older man with wild golden hair and a beard, dressed in robes of shining white. Mm -hmm. That would be a way to describe Pelor. His uh, favored weapon is known to be a mace, uh, and this is pretty cool. He rides a Kirin named Starthought. Yeah. And so, Chris, you were like, what the heck is a Kirin? Yeah, yeah. Like, I kind of knew what yeah. it looked like because I have, like, magic cards that are Kirin, but basically we we looked it up we looked up on wikipedia and looked up images and it's basically known as the what is it was the eastern world's unicorn yeah it's <laughs> like it's, the asian unicorn yeah it's kind of got like the body of like a lion type thing it's kind of hard like the head of a deer or yeah a it's kind of hard because like a lot of the pictures we looked at it were very different there's like aspects of it that are dragon-like uh, in some depictions, fox-like in some depictions, right. lion-like in some... But basically, it's got almost like a horse-like body in a lot of them, and it's always got like some kind of horn or something, so... But look it up. Kieran, his one is called Starthought, and that's what he rides, which is pretty sweet. Yeah. He's also known to summon eagles to mm -hmm. help him out, and he destroys evil things with bolts of lightning. Yes. Or bolts of light. <laughs> bolts Sorry, of not light, bolts yeah. of lightning. lightning. Bolts of lightning. Lightning is Zeus. Light <laughs> is Pelor. Yes. Um, yes. As far as his relationship with other gods, he's known to be allied with Rayo, uh, also Heronius, St. Cuthbert, Fultus, Tritherion, and Zodal. Some of the non-human deities that he's aligned with <laughs> are Corellian Larathian, Moradin, and Garl Glittergold. And Chris, you'll like this. It tells us that he's also especially friendly to those with an agricultural or solar aspect like Yondala. Yeah, I'm playing a, uh, a halfling right now that really, really likes Yondola for obvious reasons. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and also the reason why I picked Oli Damara to talk about because he kind of likes Oli Damara too. So, you yeah. know... Uh, he is. He also has enemies, though. He's not. He's not liked by everybody. He has an enemy of. Excuse me if I'm not saying this right. Tharizdin. 
Yep. Having played a role in the Dark God's imprisonment. Mm-hmm. And also, Nerul is the other one that he does which, not get along with real well. Which makes a lot of sense. I think that Pelor is... I mean, you look at his domains, and one of it is, like, healing, and you think of... Uh, and also good, and all this stuff that Nerul is the exact opposite yeah, of being the god he's of He's like dead. the exact counterpart yeah. of Pelor. I think, I think Pelor is with one of the gods that you think of like one of the gods of life like basically yeah, yeah. Um, so for him to be enemies with those two yep makes a lot of sense yep uh, now we said that we'd give you more stuff that has to do with our world and so I've done a lot with Pelor in my world and so in my world he's got a cool statue in your world <laughs> he does go inside cool statue. Stuff, yeah. he does have a cool statue that you guys visited basically like a statue of liberty kind yeah, of thing. Kind you of guys like went up to the top of his, uh, of Pelor. Of his uh, staff yeah. Uh, but basically in my world he he has uh, I've connected a lot of my gods into like family members and stuff and so in my world he's not only allied with Rayo but he's uh, the brother of Rayo he is the father of Foltus and Foltus closely follows in his father's footsteps Foltus is his good son uh, he's also the father of Mirish which is the deity of love she's um basically like almost the Cupid of the D&D world. Gotcha. And then he is also the father of Erebus, which we'll talk about their relationship later on when we talk about Erebus. And then in my world, he's also superior to a lot of other gods, of which we'll talk about those gods in other future episodes, and I'll bring them up again. Now, this I'm not sure if I made up or if this was is actually SRD, but we didn't see it. He's often depicted in a lot of pictures as having a staff. Even though um, at, at most places say that his favorite weapon is a, is mace. a mace. Yeah, um, A lot of the pictures, especially the one in the Deities and Demigods of 3.5 edition, has him with that staff. With a staff. Yeah. And so I'm not sure if I made this up or if this is actual SRD, but I have one of his favorite weapons is the Sun Staff. Uh, going along with that, he's, his favorite weapon in my world is not... A mace. It's a morning star because I felt that that was more that was better, cool, <laughs> a yeah. better. And okay. his his morning star is called the sun striker. And also during times of war, he dons the sun armor, which is basically yes. this amazing armor that basically just glows constant light. Right. Because um, he's what part fighter is part of his uh, his role. I think. I think it's. I think he's like ten levels and. Fighter or something you, like you're, that. You've looked up the stats of these yeah. gods. I really have. Yeah, I, th- I think if honest. I remember right, he's like 10 levels in Fighter. As I look at it now... Uh, I've never, yeah, I've never yeah. exactly thought, let me have these characters fight a god. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> like we talked would, about in the, they would I think the previous episode, we talked about that. <laughs> yeah, like there's, there's, no, like, uh, yeah. there's no good reason why your character should ever face off against right. the god, because a lot of them have a 79 AC <laughs> that you. you will never touch. So, um, yeah. But in my world, we talked about how he also has the title of the father of mankind, and so I've worked a lot on the creation of my world and how the gods created and so Pelor got together with he basically wanted to make a race of people and he's the known as the father of mankind because he went to he went to St. Cuthbert, Cord and Heronius and together the four of them created mankind each of them putting into mankind certain aspects of themselves and so uh, that's why he's called the father of mankind because it was his idea and he's basically seen as the creator of mankind through all this and also in my world, he created the son of Atos, which I'm sure that's the case in Greyhawk too. I had, I didn't see it anywhere, but 
if anybody's going to create the sun, it's got to be Pebble, yeah, right? Be <laughs> yeah. In my world, as far as enemies, I don't have Tharazdun in my world of Atos, but Pelor is still enemies with Nerul. More so, though, he is enemies with Arithnal, because Arithnal in my world is the main bad god. He is the king of the bad gods. He's pretty crazy. If he's, you read anything up on him in any of the D&D books, <laughs> yeah, he's insanely crazy. Yeah, so yeah. that that is his main enemy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we have also, going along with descriptions of Pelor, we have pulled some myths and legends about Pelor that uh, have been added into the D&D world. So, uh, Chris, tell us about one of those myths. Yeah, the first one that we found was called The Parable of the Hungry Man. And this myth tells of a man who was driven to crime out of a combination of desperate poverty and foolish pride. Uh, It says his community forgave him and fed him and clothed him when it's kind of like his untrustworthiness and his deceitfulness was discovered. And so it kind of just... I think this is more of like a parable that would be told to followers of how to like respond as followers of Pelor to somebody who was found to be untrustworthy and deceitful within your community. It shows a side of Pelor uh, that's supposed to be shown through his followers, I think, of mercy and or like love Goodness, and love, love and good, yeah, stuff, like, yeah. to people down on their luck, even if they're doing the wrong thing, right. which is, even which if is this, telling even them Even if it's God. their own fault mm-hmm. because they found themselves You know what, I'm going to let you tell about this next one too because you were really I excited. I was really about excited about this. So. I was like, this is really cool. <laughs> uh, so the next one is called Punishment of the Undead and it tells the myth of how the original vampires were created. It says that they had been cursed by Pelor after turning from his light to the pursuit of evil magic. The myth suggests that Pelor would forgive them if only they would ask for forgiveness. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Because I've always kind of wondered, like, vampires are always this thing. Where did they originate from? This is one possible way that vampires could have started in your world or in any of the other worlds. It's a that... it's a curse. Instead of, like, it being an evil god's behind this and creating... It's, like, a curse from it's a good god. Curse, that yeah. These guys were... these. I, I guess they were humans before, like, looking yeah. into things and doing evil things that they wouldn't shouldn't yep. have done. And, yeah, and even in... Even in this one, you see that mercy coming through of Pelor has, like, that's got to be one of his qualities. Because it says he would forgive them if only they asked. Right. That's merciful there. Yep. The next one is called The Gift of Eternal Life. Um, And so this one is described as an epic saga of an ancient kingdom. And it's threatened upon by mortal, demonic, and undead evil. Though solely tested by their foes, the people of this kingdom had their morale restored each morning at the sight of the rising sun. Kind of like reminds them of who Pelor is, right? Like he's still yeah. on their side. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and in a climactic battle that happens, the sun's rays, this is the coolest part of this myth, the sun's rays helped destroy and defeat the demons and the undead, um, and the Pelorians were victorious. And then to add on to this really cool part of this climactic battle, this myth claims that the sun's rays that destroy the demons and the undead are the spirits of the righteous, a claim that no other Pelorian texts make. Uh, that's a really cool, that's cool aspect. So let's talk about Pelorian dogma. Basically, if you're the DM and you want Pelor to be a big god in your world, you want to know how his worshippers are going to follow right. him and what uh, the beliefs surrounding him are. And if you're a player, it's good to, you should know about the dogma of the god that you are yeah. going to follow. Especially so. if your guy is going to follow it pretty strictly, yep. not just loosely. It's, exactly. it's a good idea to know how to actually play your character based on the dogma. And so 
Uh, some things to keep in mind if you're going to be a follower or you're going to have followers of Pelor in your campaign is that the energy and power of life originates from the sun. So they have a, they could have a strange fascination with the sun. They, they really, really uh, look up to the sun because it is the symbol of Pelor. Life-giving sun is the best cure for all ills. Justice and freedom are brought about through, clear, through charity, modesty, perseverance, and self-sacrifice. Another part of the dogma is truly strong. The truly strong don't need to prove their power. They know they're strong. They don't have to force it upon everybody. They just simply know that they're they are strong. Yeah, like like you said before, it's uh, there's a modesty to their right to their religion. Like they're not gonna be <clears throat> the paladins or the clerics who are walking around. I'm all that. My you know that's not what they're gonna be. They're right. gonna be very modest, even though they might be level twenties. Right. <laughs> right. They're not, they're not going to act like it. They're not going to yeah. look down on the commoners. They're going right. to talk to them like equals. Unless they're a level 20 commoner. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, the next part. Pelorians strive to perform so many good acts. I think this is cool. Uh, that evil has no room in which to exist. So basically, they try to do as much good as they possibly can. So evil does not even have a place to try and thrive uh, yeah. within the world. And it does go on to say that though they will fight the evil if it is necessary. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's sweet, especially if you're going to have a player who's going to worship Pelor. Yeah, like, they should know that they should strive for peace. Uh, they shouldn't be like focused on war and killing all the time. They have to have this understanding that I might have to kill something because it might be evil and it's going to harm good people. Right. And you sometimes need to resort to that, but peace should be the first course of action yeah. that you pursue. Yeah, it kind of goes along with that that myth that was that we talked about a little bit earlier about how they helped the deceitful guy out. It's like yep. that like they could have just put him in jail or killed yep. him, but their kind of first intention was let's try and rehabilitate, Mercy, let's try and yep. help. Yeah, yeah. They oppose evil, especially the undead. They hate the undead. Yep. There's a reason why a lot of clerics have turned undead. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Excessive attention to things of evil can blind one from the truly important things, which are compassion and goodness. Yeah. Once and so again, they say, they say, don't focus too much on the bad. Goes back to that whole "do so much good that evil can't even thrive." Don't focus so much on the bad. Focus way more on the good and everything. Once again, their followers should be focused on mercy and compassion and helping the the weak. You know, like they should, yeah, yeah. like they will fight if necessary, but their focus should be very much on peace and mercy and compassion. Exactly. Um, so going along with their dogma, the main book of scripture for the Pelorian worshiper is called The Light of Pelor. And just a few notes on this book. Uh, it talks about Pelor at the dawn of creation uh, and how he teaches mortals his ways at the dawn of creation. Right. One of the things that we found interesting about this is some versions of this book don't mention Pelor as the creator of the sun, but it mentions Pelor as the sun himself. Right. Which is real, which would be a cool aspect if you had NPCs or even a PC that believes this. Like they're going to see the sun every day and they're going to be thinking that they're seeing their God. That's yeah. a pretty cool. And if you do uh, have Pelor as the sun in your world, hopefully he doesn't turn into some sort of like. NPC down on the earth because everybody's going to be like oh crap that sucks that's kind of funny I wonder if Pelor's in the world right now I don't know and so also this book another aspect of this book that we thought was pretty interesting was some versions of this book some some of these books can be enchanted to glow whenever they're closed yeah that was pretty which cool which is pretty sweet yeah in Greyhawk he has many followers he is greatly loved by the common folk 
and most of his worshippers come uh, from mankind. Yeah. Within the religion uh, that the Pelorians follow, uh, there are very few heresies and schisms. You don't necessarily hear of a lot of people blaspheming Pelor. You never hear of anybody making anything up that's against basically any of his, his scriptural texts. The, the people, the, the clergy and, and the worshippers, mostly the clergy, the people that are in the hierarchy of, of, of Pelor's priests, they all really know what's going on in each other's temples. They're very, very connected. They're, it's not, you know, you kind of loosey-goosey, like not everybody knows what's going on. Everybody everybody pretty much knows, and word travels really fast within the, within the hierarchy of priests. Uh, they all kind of know what's going on with each other. Yeah, so in, in the church, if there was some somebody speaking out from the church, a clergy member speaking out against something in their doctrine, they are going to hear about it quick, and they're going to quench it quickly. It's not something that's going to get away, that a uh, member of the clergy is not going to get away with it. It's going to be quenched out pretty yep. quick. The training to become part of the clergy is a very rigorous one. There are a lot of youths who hear about this and want to be uh, a follower of Pelor, but we read that a lot of these youths are become part of the training and then they realize this is not for me. And right, so they, this is way They go back to their farms. Them, yeah. The elite priests of the order, and this once again just shows the modesty of Pelorians, it, they are called radiant servants, and they usually wear yellow or gold. Uh, so some of the followers of Pelor are paladins, but they're extremely rare. rare. They're also known as crusaders, and many of their slogans are equality for the meek with perseverance and strength. The uh, crusaders, when they uh, dress up, they favor uh, light-colored tunics, particularly sky blues, pale greens, or grays, or they might actually dress at, in commoners' clothes when they're serving the community, which is, um, once again, it shows that aspect of modesty. And we yeah. are, We're not higher up than you. We are one of you. Um, on formal occasions, they'll wear black, a black cloak, which I read that at first, and I was like, what? Yeah, uh, that doesn't make really sense. Weird. But they wear a black cloak that has a symbol of the sun on it, and this sun will glow on the cloak. And so if they're going to war or whatever to kill, having to kill some evil forces, all that these forces will see in the darkness is the glowing symbol of the sun coming at them. Huh. Pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So when we think about temples too to uh, Pelor, these things should be pretty beautiful if you think about it. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of what's written about these temples, it says that they're very tall, they have very large windows. And many of them, in fact, are like stained glass cathedrals, so they're absolutely beautiful. Another interesting fact about these temples is they are arranged in such a way that most of the rooms have the sun shining in on them all day. However that looks in your world to be arranged, they have big windows, they're, they're all facing the way the sun rotates around your earth, uh, and, and that is because, like we said earlier, they think the sun is just, it's the symbol of Pelor, it can, you know, it's the, it's, or it's people Pelor get energy, themselves. or it's Pelor himself. <laughs> it's where they get energy from. It's where they, you know, the the, the energy of life comes from. I from could even sun, imagine so. like temples that have like open ceilings that you just yeah. see the. Well, it says um, many of them have courtyards yeah, too. Yeah, there you in, go. Within them. Um, yeah, if you're if you're a worshiper of Pelor, the idea of worshiping in a closed enclosed room without much sunlight yeah. does not make yeah. sense. Many of them actually have hospital wings on them too. There you go. That's a that's a big part of Pelor. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, free clinics. <laughs> free clinics, right, yeah. Um, so and going along with Pelor, we wanted to bring a couple of his relics. Uh, so we're going to mention two here. Uh, basically, there are these uh, these weapons called the Dawn Stars, 
and they are maces of Pelor, and there are four of these, and they were gifts from Pelor to four Solars who rescued a paladin from the bowels of hell. And so these things will appear through, they can appear hmm. in your world. That's um, pretty cool. I'm assuming the church would have, Church of Pelor probably has them, yeah. and maybe gives them to certain or radiant servants, as right. they are called. Right. Um, to use in battle when need be. Another relic of Pelor is the Shards of the Sun, and they're described in the Pelorian Holy Text as Pelor's gift which I can carry into the darkness, a sun that never sets. This reminds me of the light of Elendriel. Yeah, I was in, just uh, thinking about Lord that. Of the Rings. Yeah. Like a, I think of like a, a shard that like yeah. basically has light. It gives light where the light lights out, and I you think can, is like, the saying. Yeah, yeah. Use it, um, when you go into dungeons and stuff like yeah. that. So that's a that's a An that's a pretty torch. cool relic that you could very easily introduce in your campaign that's not game breaking. Right, at all. right. Alright, so we promised you adventure hooks for each of the gods, so here they are. First yeah. adventure hook. First adventure hook, uh, going off of that myth and legend earlier about the gift of eternal light. Uh, you could have a whole campaign that's based off of good versus evil and it comes down to a final battle. Uh, all of your people could be Pelorian followers, or or they could just be in the battle of good, and they just hate the undead. Uh, and it comes down to this final battle where uh, you've been fighting tirelessly for days or or, or or weeks, maybe even. That's been going on for a really long time. Uh, and at the end of the battle, somehow, for some reason, whether it's the, the priests of Pelor finally come out into the field of battle and start to... You know, it says that they don't like to do battle, so maybe they finally gear up to do battle. Pelor shines upon them, finally going into battle to fight against the undead, and has these rays of light from the sun start coming down that are said to be the righteous ones that have gone before, uh, that start to help and turn the battle. So maybe that's even like, I I'm thinking like Lord of the Rings type stuff, the undead <laughs> army that comes back. But yet they're like light warriors that are coming yeah. out of the lights. You can the play rays of out sun. the battle of the gift yeah, of eternal yeah. light. Yeah. I'm thinking like rays of light that boom come, and then there's like these light warriors that are riding mm -hmm. around on the field, whether on horses or like they're just foot soldiers running around, and you know they're all of the righteous mm -hmm. ones that have gone before. So you can play with that a little bit. Maybe that could be one of your plot hooks at the end of your campaign. Yeah. Our second adventure hook is if you have a paladin in your party uh, and you're with your players that wants to be a paladin of Pelor, or it could even be a cleric, whatever. Let's right. not, let's yeah. not, you know, say not just paladin. Yeah. yeah, it could be a cleric. Maybe that cleric or that paladin is promised by the leader of his church, a Dawnstar, one of the relics of Pelor, if he completes certain missions. Mm -hmm. And so that can be an ongoing throughout your campaign. Yeah. He could get missions from the church of Pelor to work his way up the hierarchy and get a Dawn Star yeah. for himself. That'd yeah. be pretty sweet. Yeah, I, I like that idea, actually. That'd be pretty cool. I might have to play a Paladin. You want to throw that into one of your campaigns so I can do that? <laughs> do I like throwing out really powerful items? No. <laughs> That's all right. Maybe I will. <laughs> we'll talk about yeah. it. We'll I, know, I know Caleb, our friend Caleb, always oh, loves to play Paladins. I bet he would be geeking out about oh, that. He would he love that. that. Yep. Maybe you should give it to me. Just to see just what to his reaction just is. Just to piss him off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just to see if we can get him out of his paladinness <laughs> a little bit. Uh, so anyways, the third one, the third and final uh, plot hook that you might be able to use is going back off of another one of those, uh, those myths and legends, the punishment of the undead. What if you had a whole group that were all vampires at the start of your campaign? You could make this into a whole campaign 
a one-off night or however you want to do it but their whole goal as we said in that myth is simply to seek out the forgiveness of Pelor maybe that's they actually go to a temple of Pelor and the priests give them a bunch of tasks that they have to do to prove uh, that they are truly asking for forgiveness maybe that's resisting the urge to eat some eat the blood of somebody else for x amount of days or something like that and then you have to throw in like how crazy would this drive a vampire if they weren't able to eat the blood and they have to act that out you know see what the reactions of people are around what is it what happens to them uh, does their does their body start to change shape does their skin you know as in like skyrim or in like oblivion where if you're out in the sun for too long you start to like disintegrate a little bit you start to look really deathly ill I mean, you could play out this out a lot of different ways within mm-hmm. within that campaign, but I think that'd be fun to do. Uh, you could base a whole campaign or, or maybe just a one-off night. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. So those are our adventure hooks. Let's move on to Ola Damara. Ola Damara is one of the oldest gods in D&D. He was found in the first edition of Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, he was all the way through 3.5, and they really didn't highlight him a whole lot in 4E. Uh, he's also from the world of Greyhawk. Titles for Ola Damara include The Laughing Rogue and The Laughing God. A couple titles that we ourselves have made up for Ola Damara in our worlds is The Trickster, or The Master of Tricks, The Jester of the Gods, The Bard of the Gods, and The Complicated Gift Giver. Ooh, I like that one. His power level is intermediate. His alignment is chaotic neutral. Uh, His portfolio is Music, Revels, Wine, Rogues, Humor, tricks, and gambling. And his domains are chaos, luck, and trickery. Yep, and he does not have any superiors. No superiors are old tomorrow yeah. either. Yeah. I don't think that he would be do well even, with even a superior. Even if he was told that he had a superior, <laughs> I don't <laughs> Everything think... Everything that we know about him and created about him, he's not... Yeah. I don't think he'd yeah, be good with the I don't think he would either, yeah. <laughs> So if you were to see Oli Damara in the world, and this this would kind of be what he would be described to look as, uh, he's depicted as like a slender young man with olive skin, he has merry green bright eyes, chestnut hair, and kind of a rackish beard. He is sometimes said to have had a magical mask, which allows him to take whatever form he wants. He also is said to have a musical instrument, the cantile of the oldest, uh, which can conjure illusions uh, and real matter and shape the emotions of those who listen to it, as if they were moist clay. Mitch, I know how much you love moist clay. That sounds (laughs) delightful to you, right? Just the word moist. Yeah, it's kind of gross. Some of his holy symbols can be the laughing mask. Uh, That could be depicted as his, one of his symbols, the cantile, or the number nine. Those are seen number nine. (laughs) Trickster number. Uh, As far as relationships with other gods, Old Damara has kind of funny relationships. He's, He's really in good terms with a lot of gods. If you want a listing of those, you can look them up. There's a lot of gods. Uh, Interesting to note, though, Heronius and Hextor, he gets on their nerves at times, but he apparently gets away with a lot of stuff, and they tolerate him because of his charm and humor. So he's really charming. He's really humorous. He's good. I mean, he is the laughing rogue. He is uh, a jester. He's good at cracking jokes. Right. Uh, He is the brother of Scarosa, which is the deity of like pain and basically everything that's not pleasure, right, right. which is not uh, him at all. Right. But it says that the the two of them, the two deities, have nothing to do with each other, and their relationship is only mentioned in very obscure texts. So right. they don't. They might be siblings, but they don't really deal. They with don't have which makes a relationship. Sense. Yeah, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Right. Karel, which is the god of jealousy, is jealous towards Oladamara for Makes his sense. greater popularity among thieves. 
who would have guessed that the god of jealousy is jealous? <laughs> he is all. He also tries to avoid avoid evil gods such as Nerul and Arithnal, which makes a lot of sense as makes well. A lot of sense he too. contents himself with gently teasing them, which. To me, I find funny yeah. that Nerul and Arithnil even deal with that. <laughs> like, yeah. That seems like a funny image that Nerul and Arithnil deal with. He's like the annoying little them. kid to them, I bet. Yeah. yeah. So I've used Oladamara quite a bit in my world of Atos. Uh, I think that you guys as a party have met him on at least two occasions. Yeah. And so uh, in my world, I've added a lot of the lore about Oladamara. So Oladamara was there when Atos was created, but while the rest of the gods are creating Atos, Oladamara did not exactly create anything in Atos. Instead, he ran around and messed with the creations of other gods. <laughs> and so he would, like, would warp them and stuff. Uh, so some of his most famous works are, and some of these are D&D creatures, and some of these are creatures from the re real world that are I find hilarious. Uh, so some of his most famous works are Mimics, are Bowlers, Blobfishes, Sheet Phantoms, Naked Mole Rats, <laughs> Gelatinous Cubes, Flail Snails, Bonacons, and the Dumbo Octopus. <laughs> uh, he's also the creator of the famous Double Rainbow in my world. So uh, Double Rainbow. There you go. So Double he, Rainbow. <laughs> so he's kind of just running around messing with everybody's creations instead of doing creations himself. So that's uh, that's something I had fun with with Oladamara in my world. So there's also some myths and legends uh, surrounding Oladamara as well. There's, there's one in particular that I kind of like. Uh, it's called the Grand Illusion, and it says this myth tells of how Oladamara, in the guise of a beggar wielding the cantile, uh, the cantile of the oldest, inspired a rebellion against the tyrannical Lich King thousands of years ago. Uh, he was really, he was really kind of uh, an instrument, quote unquote, haha, cantile <laughs> instrument. I know, it's terrible joke. To overthrowing this tyrannical Lich King, that's just kind of funny to me. There's also another one where the herald of Oladamara. Andromelius, he tried to steal Oledemara's soul on his deathbed. Did you see this one at all? No, I no? didn't see this one. Uh, it says, Andromelius, uh, once Oledemara's herald, repented of mischief and roguery on his deathbed, hoping in this way to cheat his god of his soul. Hmm. Uh, and it says, this Andromelius believed would be the greatest theft of his career. <laughs> Needless to say, it didn't work, and in the end... It totally backfired on him because only tomorrow I didn't <laughs> fall for it. So it is kind of funny to me. I also noticed this one that I like called Old Damara and the Grand Talisman, where while he's traveling with Farlang, the god of travels, uh, he charms the true name from this demon who's only known as the Nameless Demon. And so he gets the true name out of this Nameless Demon and he forces him to give this amulet to him that contains his soul, <laughs> the demon's soul. It's just like a good picture of who Oladamara is. Yeah. Just the charm, charming yeah. god, silver-tongued, yeah. absolutely. Well, what's kind of... I forgot to add this in about the Andromelius one, too. So Andromelius tried to steal Oladamara's soul. Instead, oh, yeah. Oladamara decided to steal Andromelius from the cosmos altogether uh, <laughs> and banished him from the cosmos altogether, casting him into a void between existence and non-existence, yeah. which is just really funny. We've uh, we've had Oladamara, like we said, show up in my world and my campaigns and we though we've talked about the recent he uh, with the comeback in oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where you guys went to an inn that was controlled by Oladamara and it was just this crazy night of ridiculousness of 
trying to get out of the comeback in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, another time he showed up, and this is the reason I gave him the name of the complicated gift giver is uh, he showed up in one of our campaigns, and you guys found this uh, this broken down shack, and you went into it, and this old lady greeted you, went into the back room, and out comes this guy who I described him as looking like old Damara, and you guys had no idea who old Damara mm-hmm. was at this point. He gave each and every one of you guys this gift, but this gift had like every single one of the gifts had like a string attached. Like <laughs> basically, old Damara gave you guys gifts to mess with you. I remember one of the gifts was. I don't remember who got this, but it was a necklace that if you put a piece of, like, hair from anybody in it, basically if that person hit you while you're wearing this necklace, they would get take the damage that they tried to oh, do gosh. to you. And, of course, at that point, old Damar, knowing the troubles in your guys' group, knew that it would be par- somebody in the party and that you, the person who got it would try to provoke the other person. And <laughs> he basically just threw stuff at you guys to try and cause trouble because that's, that's kind of who he is. He loves... <laughs> just messing with people (laughs) so when it comes to dogma i think old amara is a lot less strict than pelor yeah basically he teaches his followers to avoid predictability and routine going along with that chaotic alignment he teaches them to delight in wine to learn music to seek out happiness joy entertainment and the company of others he's very much into pleasure and revels he would be a good god for a satyr or a uh, halfling like your yeah, halfling. Like my halfling. <laughs> he advises his faithful to appreciate both the jokes they play on others and the jokes that are played on themselves. So, yes. you know, the uh, the guy who gets pissed at the pranks being pulled on him, not following Ola Damara. Yeah, who can dish out the pranks really yeah, well, exactly. but can't take them back. Exactly. Yeah. He yeah. also teaches that misery, temperance, and solemnness are the greatest poisons to the soul. Hmm. So Ola Damara's scriptures it lacks any single holy book. He doesn't have any single book with a a collection of his writings, but instead he maintains hundreds of mutually contradictory collections of parables and songs, which is really funny to me. I love that. (laughs) Any attempt to codify or reconcile these texts is not okay with Ole Demaro's code, or with his creed, which teaches that chaos should be embraced and material things have little importance or intrinsic value. This is very different than any other like yeah, religion. It's yeah. basically like Ole Damara loves the fact that there's all these different parables and stories yeah. that contradict themselves. The more contradictory, and I the love better. that. Like, yeah. where do you? How do you like follow like scriptures that it's like this one says to do this, this one says yeah. to do this. It's like there's is there really a religion there? Not really. It's just kind of like be chaotic, yeah. be unpredictable. Yeah, I love want. it. Follow whichever holy text you want to. I would love to, like, as the DM, play, like, jokes on a follow of Damara, and, like, they go to a temple, and you give them, like, a parable that teaches them one thing. They go out and do that one thing. They come back, you teach them another parable that has it's the, the complete, complete opposite. opposite. Yeah, yeah. And then they have to go back out and do the opposite. Yeah. Like, that would be a that lot of fun. That would be hilarious. That would be great. Yeah. As far as who worships Old Damara, he is worshipped by rogues, by bards, by beggars, by thieves, and all lovers of life and pleasure. Yeah, the clergy of Oli Damara, they, they're often not like full-time clergy. Like That's not their main job. They often have like secondary jobs, which could be like winemakers. They could be entertainers in, in downtown urban areas, so like, like people that work in the theater or, or work in gambling halls or something like that. They can be messengers. Which would be really interesting if you really followed Ole Damara. You could, like, switch people's messages around and, like, give the wrong person the wrong message. That'd be kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also are just 
if they live more in like the rural areas, they're kind of the the jack of all trades, which which kind of keeps them from enjoying the the mundaneness of life, which Oli Demara is not for at all. Most times, what you'll see Oli Demara worshippers wearing are, are comfortable clothing. They usually prefer like browns and greens and blacks. Another interesting thing is that some of Oli Demara's worshippers will also wear. Uh, a mask as their holy symbol, while some of them will actually just wear it as like a, a signet or an amulet inscribed with the drawing of the mask. So some people like to wear it more more obviously. Some people like to keep it a little bit more hidden. I love the uh, the mask too. It's like it's a combination of you always see like the old theater two masks, which there's a frowny yeah. mask and a smiling mask. It's basically the mask is brought both of them together to a two faced mask. Right. One side is frowning. One side, or actually more than a. More than a frown, it looks like a mad, a really mad evil right, like, right. frown. Yeah. And then the other side is like grinning, like creepy right, grin. Right. Um, and I love that. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, so about their temples, most temples to Old Damara aren't exactly temples. There's more often than temples, there are shrines, small shrines to Old Damara, whether that's a small shrine in a pub or a den of thieves or even just a pile of stones on the roadside that are carved with the symbol of Old Damara. And one of the common practices when you get to these shrines is uh, leaving a token to old Damara. And so you can leave like coins, a couple of coins, a bit of tasty food, or a cup of wine. I like the idea of a worship of old Damara, like going up to a shrine, maybe like just the pile of stones, or if it's a small statue or whatever, and filling up a glass of wine, drinking himself, filling up a glass of wine and pouring it into the earth, kind of like, here you go, old Damara, here's your drink. I like that pitcher. Yeah. In my, uh, in this campaign we're playing now, we, at the beginning of the campaign, in your hometown, you guys went to a Temple of Old Damara mm. during a big festival. Yeah, yeah. And it was pretty much, more or less, a gambling hall. Yeah. And so, these these clerics of Old Damara were running the gambling tables and all these things. Is that why we sucked so bad at all of the gambling stuff? <laughs> yeah, because they're, they're pretty much just shysters. They have yeah. no problem with being chaotic and lying and cheating and... Uh, using loaded dice, loaded dice yeah. and you actually make your own loaded I, dice. I tried; it yeah. didn't come out too yeah. well. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so and they have no problem with gambling and all these things. Uh, they're different than a lot of clerics would be. Yeah, they're very different. Yeah, what, um, a lot my, more fun. In yeah, all yeah in my world, you guys actually came up against a when you remember when you went in the sewers and it looked like an old thieves den. Yeah, where you guys had to put the gold into the little the little bowl there, like mm-hmm. where you had to do either. You had to answer the questions, oh, yeah, yeah. or you had to pay the temple like fee. Yeah, like it was supposed to open up. Like if you paid this toll to Oli Damara, you like went down under and came up. It was supposed uh, to be like a separate like throne room shrine oh, at one point in time because we didn't want to give money. Yeah, because you didn't want to give. We didn't know that. We thought yeah. it would just open up the same thing. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> you, now we you'll, you'll figure it out. The more like you that. know. Yeah. <laughs> so Oli Damara has a couple of relics. We have two that are are. They're made up for the Greyhawk world, and then mm-hmm. Mitch, you have one for your world, yeah, so yeah. I'll share the two from the, the Greyhawk world real quick that I find kind of funny. One's, one's really funny, and one's kind of like, that's pretty cool. We both kind of <laughs> said that. It was, this is a pretty awesome relic. The first one is the Pipes of Amorous Revelry, uh, and if you don't know what Amorous is, it basically means like sexual desire for the <laughs> other person. Uh, and so it's, it's a set of pipes that, that were created and dedicated to Oli Damara that when played they create this sort of like confusion effect within whoever it's directed to uh, and instead of inspiring the target to attack the other person 
it kind of makes them mildly sexually attracted to the other person <laughs> instead. Now, what what so, I want to know is when they stop playing, is the effect gone? Yeah, it's just like know. you're playing and then you're like, you stop and you're like, let's make out. No, I don't want to make out with you. Oh, let me start playing. Again. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I like that. It'd be interesting to put into a world and see what happens. It could be like somebody that has, it's like, I just want to play this joke on the other person. <laughs> you do it on the other players. <laughs> yeah, right. You just like are watching your you players. Are like, yeah, right. <laughs> and then it's like, you could like hold, you could like make them like get really close and then be like, I'm going to use this to blackmail you forever. <laughs> uh, just kind of going along with the chaotic yeah. theme of Older Demora. There's another one called The Rapier of Desperate Measures. And this, this one's, one's pretty awesome. cool. It's it's something that Oli Demara awards whenever he kind of like feels like it's time to award this thing. It seems pretty ordinary and like only slightly magical, but there's an inscription at the base of the blade that says, don't be careful. And so anybody that reads this, they're kind of like, what? Like, don't be careful. And so what they'll notice is, is when the when the wielder becomes hurt more and more, the power of the blade doubles. So I don't know exactly what the HP requirement is. I think it's like if you're lower than half or something, it makes sense. So if you're lower than half of your normal HP, the, the blade's damage doubles. Uh, so as your wounds go graver and graver, the power of this weapon gets stronger and stronger. That's Hence really the inscription sweet. that says, don't be careful. So it's it's not necessarily broken until you get really hurt. Then it becomes super, super broken. It's kind of cool. I like that. I like that one a lot. And so in my world, uh, like I mentioned, he is the complicated gift giver. He's given out tons of weird gifts, including like invisible string and things like that. Uh, but one of my favorites is something that's not game-breaking at all. It's called the Bountiful Bottomless Bottle of Brandy. And you can basically guess what it is. It's yeah. a bottle of brandy that never runs out. You can just pour it out. Like it just that. keeps on coming, uh, which is great to give to a player in your game who decides that their flaw is going to be that they're an alcoholic. Yeah, right. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Endless problems. Perfect, perfect reason for them to have that. Exactly. Maybe right. that's how they became an And that alcoholic. is a good, that's a great, a great relic for Ola Damara. So let's talk about our three adventure hooks for Ola Damara. First adventure plot hook for Ola Damara could be, say, you know, we, we've talked about how he doesn't like people to get into routines to become... Uh, kind of comfortable in the situations they find themselves in. And so one of the things that I know a lot of groups end up doing as they get closer and closer or as they start to get more money within their world, they like to settle down, build a house, or build a business of some sort within a city. And so what you could do is you could have Oli Damara come in as, as looking like a, a, a halfling or a human or whatever form he wants to take at this point in time, come into your, your business and because you're starting to get more and more satisfied and more and more just in a routine, weird things could start happening to that business. Things could start disappearing. Things could float across the room or whatever. You know, shipments could be late. Different things like this, just to kind of throw you guys out of whack a little bit. And they have to they have to scramble and figure out what the heck is going wrong because Oldemar doesn't like things to be in order. And for somebody that's starting to get into a regular pattern of life and try to be a business owner, this is really gonna piss them off a little bit. Uh, the second one we have comes from actually our previous episode when we talked about from the mailbag, but if you remember our the Freaky Friday idea mm. from DM Never, that I think is the perfect uh, adventure hook for old Damara. All of your characters uh, switch bodies and they're just thrown into this chaotic, chaotic scenario where they're all in different bodies and trying to figure out how, you know, the barbarian, like we said, is in the wizard body and vice versa. 
that's a perfect old Damara playing a trick on your party for whatever reason that it comes up. Perfect idea. Thanks again. I like that idea. Yeah. Uh, Last one is you could have your city having a big party. Uh, Big festival. Big festival. For whatever reason it is, you could make up some crazy idea. And Oli Damara is going to have a little fun with this party. (laughs) The wine is being shipped in, the the beer, the brandy, whatever it is, the alcohol. Like every every festival in D&D world more than likely has alcohol of some sort. Oli Damara decides to cast a spell on all of this alcohol. So everyone starts to hallucinate. Uh, and you can you can come up with if you want everybody to have like an individual hallucination that they just see like somebody <laughs> as like a unicorn or something like that and they're just starting to freak out about this and they're like turning to talk to the other person and they see that person as like a bear in armor like looking at you or whatever you want to do you just have a town full of drugged out people because Ola Damara wanted to have a little fun yeah. uh, with this party I, I don't think it would be like a it would be a hallucination for anybody that they're like running in fear or like no, that anybody kills be, each other that's trickster, not what Ola Damara yeah. is about he's about pleasure yeah. and stuff like that he would just basically want an entire town yeah. drugged up and high yeah. I think it'd be funny you said like you know they're having their their wine and stuff imported from another city it'd be funny if like this crate of wine comes in and they're like, where is this from? And they're like, you know, we don't know. We it don't just know. showed up. Yeah. Like, and that is the crate that yeah. like makes everybody yeah. bonkers. Yeah, because they're like, all right, we're fine with that. Just bring it in. Yeah, And that's course. a great, that's a, how how much fun can you have with that as a DM oh, totally to go? Uh, and like, you can either pull people aside and be like, you see this and you see this. And like, maybe like one of the characters sees everybody as a big giant like, like yeah. ob- object of food or something. I feel like it would be like. It would be like the whose line is it anyways, where they're all given like a, a type of like personality or whatever. Like mm-hmm. you're the Elvis impersonator that comes to the party, and like <laughs> like everybody and and like player knowledge is like, man, what is he trying to be or something like that? And everybody's everybody's just having a blast being just this different type of personality throughout the whole <laughs> the whole campaign. I think that would be a blast as one of the adventure hooks. All right, so now uh, we've talked about Pelor, we've talked about Old Mara, we've given you guys stuff right out of the books we've added a little bit of lore ourselves that you can add into your world now we're going to talk about a god that i have created for my world called erebus now erebus sounds probably familiar to a lot of you and that's probably because the name of erebus is a god in greek culture A lot of you probably also recognize the name of Erebus because he appeared in Magic's Theros um, pack as one of the gods. I believe he's the god. Is he the god of death in that? I think so, yeah. I had him in a deck. He was a lot of fun to use, yeah. And so I was pretty proud of myself. Me and Mark, Magic Mark, hashtag Magic Mark, (laughs) (laughs) um, we came up with this god of Erebus and the lore behind him before Magic released Theros, so mm-hmm. we had Arab, and our Arabis is a lot different than this. But so basically, uh, we came up with this god, and now we're going to talk about Arabis and what Arabis is, who he is, and then you can throw Arabis into your world if you like him. And this is something we'll do with our divine spotlights. Next time, Chris is going to bring yep. one of his gods from his world to the table, and we'll talk about that god. So this time, we're going to talk about Arabis. Uh, first of all, Erebus's titles are, he's known as the Shadow King and the Lord of Darkness. His power level is intermediate. His alignment is chaotic neutral, although he has chaotic evil tendencies. His portfolio is darkness, that's his main thing. Night, shadows, eclipses, 
secrets, and chaos. His domains are darkness, chaos, and dominion, domination, and his superior is none, except it was formerly Pelor, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So, uh, to begin with talking about who Erebus is, he appears as a young man dressed in ta tattered cloths of a peasant. He is always seen wearing a hood, and most of his face is always covered in shadow. Light seems to die whenever he goes near it, and the clouds of darkness emit from his very being. And he carries with him two scabbards known as the Shadow Scabbards. They are two powerful but tainted scimitars. And so we'll talk about who Erebus is, and I'll, I'll, I'm just going to read to you the description of Erebus from my Gods of Atos book. Uh, so Erebus was born on Atos as a demigod. Uh, he was the demigod son of, of Pelor. Which, hmm. you know, god of he's, he's the god of darkness, so you go, okay, so how did Makes that sense. happen? So he's the son of Pelor. Uh, his mother died giving birth to him, and his earthly father blamed him for her death. So Erebus grew up in poverty, and he was abused by his drunk of a father, and not knowing the truth about his true father. Uh, so one day, when his father was beating him, he lashed out in fear and anger, and in a flash of darkness, his father disappeared out of the thin air, never to be seen again. When Pelor learned of his son's powers, he appeared before the boy and proclaimed to him the truth, that he was his father. Uh, he gave Erebus the sun scabbards, two scimitars of great power. He told the boy to follow his teachings and to do good in his name, and that he would one day grant him the power of ascension, which is becoming a god. Right. And so Erebus, uh, his father Pelor, appears to him, but only after he's shown this power um, over light and being able to take away light. And so Erebus does this, Pelor tells him, uh, but he secretly never forgives Pelor for forsaking him over all those years that his father, his earthly father, beat him and he was starved as a peasant. Uh, and he vows to prove his worth to Pelor, if only to one day become a god himself and make the world in his own vision. And he does this to an extent. He achieves ascension as a young man, and for a hundred years he follows Pelor without question in order to learn as much about Pelor and the good pantheon of gods as he can. And at the end of that hundred years, he leaves the rest of the gods behind, and he travels, travels the plains looking for somewhere to live. He finds this plane of complete darkness called that he calls Shadowmoor, and he lives there. And he taints the sun scabbards given to him from his father and turns them into weapons of darkness and fear. And he renames them the shadow scabbards. And so um, he basically turns from a, he becomes a, he's a demigod, he becomes a god. He rises up to power alongside of his father Pelor, but he turns away from the teaching of, of his father. He becomes the god of darkness and he's constantly displeasing Pelor and trying to in fact he's his main goal is to kill Pelor and become basically the god of darkness that destroys all of light and so this has created a lot of really cool lore and campaign stories in my world uh, magic mark hashtag magic mark uh, <laughs> followed Erebus and became this guy that was uh, his That's character right. axis, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so he would go around and basically like we'd be in dungeons, and he became a little bit annoying with it because we'd go into dungeons, and he had a mask given to him from the K 
Council of Midnight, which is the worshippers of Erebus, that this mask was just a dark mask, and but it had night vision, and so gotcha. uh, dark vision. So he would go. They their party would go into dungeons. They'd light a torch, and he'd go over and put the torch out, <laughs> <laughs> and like there was just this ongoing fight between him and the yeah. rest of the group uh, that eventually led to the group being in pretty. Uh, terrible position yeah. of they didn't get along anymore and yeah. that campaign. Well, he like gradually got worse and worse and yeah. worse as <laughs> yeah. it went. Yeah. He got worse and worse. He started going along to the evil axis of yeah. um, of Erebus worshippers. But so that's kind of what Erebus is all about. He's all about the opposite of Pelor and right. you know he's because he's we mentioned that he was is Erebus's son and we mentioned the uh, other family members of Ere- Erebus, which one of them is Foltis, which is another god of light, and Foltis and him are like mortal enemies, even though they're brothers. Um, and Foltis doesn't see him as a full yeah. brother because he's a mortal right, turned into a right. god. As far as dogma, Erebus's dogma is all based around the idea that light is an abomination. Uh, darkness is to be embraced, and the night is the most holy time of. I don't know, what do you say, day? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, the shadows should be seen as treacherous, and yet, for those strong enough to live in them, glorious. The only authority that is to be honored is that of Erebus himself. There's also a sect of Erebus worship that believe that death is the ultimate darkness to be achieved, and it is to be welcomed rather than feared. That's pretty and, dark. Yeah, and those <laughs> who believe this, and this is where Mark... Magic Mark got pretty dark with his character because he fell into this. <laughs> these the, these really? worshippers, those who believe this, usually choose to either end their own lives to get into that oh. darkness. Mark Magic Mark didn't want to kill his character, yeah, uh, yeah. so he didn't do that. But they also believe in assisting others in ending their lives, like Doctor so, Kavorkian. Oh my gosh, there was this thing, time yeah. that he went to like the like a hospital and he like killed this dude who was like basically a vegetable. Just like it was like, go to sleep, embrace the darkness, and that oh was the moment gosh. that Mark's character started to turn for the worse. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Hashtag Marge, yeah, Magic Mark was, Kavorkian. That was before I was playing with you guys, yeah. but that is. I remember we were dark. all just looking at him like, "What is wrong?" With you? Hashtag Magic Mark Kavorkian. <laughs> um, and so it's seen as a service to Erebus and an act of mercy to the living. Um, to put them out of the light, huh. to put them into the darkness. Interesting. That that being said, that's not official dogma. That's like this, the worse off evil sect right, of right. the Council of Midnight, which is known as uh, the worshippers of Erebus, and they'll join together at midnight. That's why they're called that to uh, have their services. There is a book of scripture for the worshippers of Erebus. Uh, it's known as the Book of the New Sun, and it describes an apocalyptic event in which the moon covers over the sun and does not move. And so it just creates a whole... The whole world is taken up in darkness. The sun is never to be seen again. And the book poetically describes this in a prophetic way that the moon will eat the sun. And there are worshippers of Erebus who actually believe that the moon will actually eat the sun. Others believe it's just covering it yeah others believe it's just most believe that it's just a poetic way of describing the covering but um, there are many worshippers who believe that this will this is a prophecy of a final battle fought between Erebus and his father Pelor and that Erebus will kill Pelor and cover the world in darkness this actually happened in our in our campaign once 
And we saw a form of history where Pelor one kills Erebus and then Erebus is dead. But we've also had a lot of play in my world of different sure. timelines and so yeah. maybe there's a history timeline where Erebus does want win and the whole world is now forever in darkness. But yeah, so the worshippers of Erebus are known as the Council of Midnight. Magic Mark was a lover of the Council of Midnight. There were uh, we came up with this whole system of hierarchy and they are pretty much banned in most civilized countries, especially the ones who take the ex- extremist beliefs. Right. Especially in countries that worship Pelor, they are sought out and the law tries to take them out wherever they are and stop their worship of Erebus. Did Magic Mark ever come up against any of that? Of like the Pelor yeah. worshippers? Yeah. He he was part of a underground cult of Erebus worshippers and basically that campaign ended for a lot of reasons too early. Not too early, it went on for a long time, but it didn't ever come to a conclusion which kind of stunk but right where we left off it was basically going to be that he was coming into opposition with a lot of the players in the group like they were basically at the point where they're like he's got to turn from his ways or we're going to kill him yeah, <laughs> like, yeah we can't deal with him doing this stuff anymore but that of course also went along with yeah multiple personality disorder he did he so he had one personality that hated Erebus and the yeah. other two were embracing it yeah. so uh-huh. uh, I think they we're like, well, we like good, we like good Raxus. <laughs> How but can we find a way to make him stay? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Followers of Erebus dress in black robes and wear black masks with a symbol of a silver circle on top of their foreheads, which is the symbol of the eclipsed moon over the sun. And they do not have temples. They meet in basements or out in the woods, wherever basically they can meet to uh, get away from the law and meet in secret at midnight, just as you would expect a outlawed cult to do. And so that's the idea of Erebus. Feel free to take Erebus, put him into your world as one of the gods. Uh, Chris, I'm excited to hear about uh, one of your gods next time. Any idea who you're gonna do? Uh, I may do Nyax. Yeah, the one that's that what you I was guys, thinking. the one that you guys yeah. encountered a so little bit. Yeah, you guys just met him. Want to mm-hmm. elaborate on him a little bit? Yeah. So might be, might not be by the time we get there. So we'll I'll see. give you, I'll give you. If you want to take Erebus and put him into your world, I'll give you three good adventure hooks for Erebus. So one of the most obvious adventure hooks is that you could have your players or player be part of a council of midnight, a cult of Erebus and they are planning on attacking a church of Pelor at night and just taking out all of their opposition because they, like their god, hate Pelor. And so to put an end to the life of his followers would be seen as a huge tribute to Erebus. Another one, Chris, that you came up with is this idea of there being a Pelorian cleric or paladin that maybe he's a playable character and one of the story plots that you work out with him that he wants to do is maybe he wants to be a Pelorian that eventually turns away from Pelor and turns to Erebus. Yeah, I or can, is and is trying to sabotage the, the church oh, of Pelor. That's, yeah, okay, I get what you're, yeah. so you're saying. Like a, like an inside man. Yeah, thing. yeah. Like, well, because like really we talked cool. about earlier with Pelor, is there's no like real heresy or anything yeah. out of the ordinary within like anybody who worships Pelor worships Pelor, and it could be this thing where it's like the person is trying to infiltrate in kind of like spyish type stuff. That would be down the agents. That would the, be so hard for a worshiper of Erebus, like having to be around sun worshippers and like where the sun in is the open in sun all, all the, the time. Yeah. Like that would be. 
that'd be that'd be a great story hook. That'd be so hard for like yeah. a playable character who like worships Erebus to like have to deal yeah, with. Yeah, that. that would suck. <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want that. Yeah. Another story hook comes from uh, one of the campaigns that we did was we had a land that was divided. The north was uh, basically ran like a normal day and night kind of scenario. The sun rose, uh, but the south was covered by these dark clouds, and it never the sun never shone. Uh, shone down upon the south of this land so it was cursed um, by Erebus and Erebus wanted the whole entire land north and Mm. south to be covered in darkness and so you could have if you want to have an evil campaign where your players are worshippers of Erebus you could have them go along this quest uh, to do whatever it is they have to do to make the rest of that land cursed Mm. so we hope that you enjoyed these three gods that we talked about today, Pelor, Oli Damara, and Erebus. There's a lot of information with them. If you want to take notes, go back, listen to it, take notes again. Involve these gods into your campaigns. Adding gods into campaigns is one of the funnest things you can do as a DM for your players and for you as a DM. Uh, and so we hope you enjoyed it. Leave us some feedback. Tell us what you think. Share some of your own gods with us. We'd love to hear about them if you've created any of your own. But until the next time we do a Divine Spotlight, we are going to move on to the light bulb of this episode. Not the light bulb, Erebus! Light bulb. So for the light bulb this week, we have an idea of how you can take a regular, maybe you have old action figures, and turn them into statues for the gods. And so uh, uh, great action figures that work for this are Lord of the Rings yep. uh, figures. Yeah, there's a uh, lot of they're them out there. Big and they're perfect size. You put a base on them. You can spray paint them black. And then instead of having them all the you know colors, you can spray paint them black and paint them like stone or gold or whatever you want them to be. And they make perfect statues for gods of the world of D&D. If you look on our website, we have a picture of a statue of Grimush that I made. And so if you look at this, maybe it'll inspire you to take some old figures that maybe you have or go on eBay and buy some real, for really cheap. Look at garage sales, stuff like look that. garage sales. Stuff, yeah. And maybe this will inspire you to make your own god statues of gods from D&D. If you do, please send them in. We'd love to see them. Yeah, uh, but that's really cool. That is our idea of the week. Uh, our light bulb of the week for you guys. So hopefully you enjoy that and hopefully we'll get pictures from you guys of God statues that you create. They've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? Welcome to another edition of the Mailbag of Holding, the place where we share your ideas, stories, and questions that come from you, the listener. We have a couple of fun ones today. I'll, I can start off, Mitch, start if you would like me to. Uh, this one comes from Jeremiah. Uh, we got this in a Facebook message, and he he shares with us an interesting idea of how to kind of use a, a, a homebrew rule of death within a campaign. So 3.5, it's always been, you know, you go down to negative 10 for HP, you're dead. We've talked about how we, we do negative 15 just to yep. give a little bit of grace. 5e, it's it's the, you know, you do saving throws and stuff like that. And, and this is a new way, and I, I, I kind of like it. It kind of makes sense that you... In order to die, you have to get to your negative constitution score. So if, say, for example, you have a 12 as a constitution score, 
you have to get to negative 12 in HP. If you have negative 18, you have to get to, ne or if you have 18 as a constitution score, you have to get to negative 18. If you have an eight, sucks to be you, you have to get only <laughs> to negative eight. Yeah. You're just kind of screwed. <laughs> but that's an interesting thing. If you, if you don't necessarily like the way that it's going, this can kind of spice things up a little bit if you want to in, in, in how people may come up against death in your world. It makes Constitution a lot more important. Um, yeah, it does. It's not for everybody, but maybe your group will like it. And it, at the very least, you have to say it makes sense. It puts mm -hmm. a lot of you know emphasis on Constitution making yeah. sense. It's harder for that big brute to die. Yeah, it, it, it adds in a little bit. You have to think about where you want to place your scores a little bit more. Because mm -hmm. Constitution is something that I'm always like, I'll just I'll just make it my zero stat where I gave it like a ten or something mm -hmm. like that. I don't need any additives and it's not constitution doesn't really do anything for me. This makes you consider a little bit more yeah. where you want to add your stats. Um, the next thing that we wanted to share is from Jason, uh, and Jason uh, writes into us and tells us he says that he's been playing for uh, the last twenty years D and D, and he tells us that he has begun to introduce D and D to his eight year old daughter and to teach her how to play, which is awesome. you got to pass on games like this to right. the next generation. Yeah. Can't let D and don't let D&D &D die. Yeah. Um, and he was kind of just telling us about how that's been going, and he's teaching her moral decisions through D&D, &D, which is pretty sweet. He mentions that we talked about character death um, on one of our episodes, and he was fascinated with how his daughter responded to protect uh, and revive fallen comrades even if they were NPCs that he just added in for color. He tells uh, us that he added in a bard into his game yeah. that was basically this bard was there to be a tutorial for her, right. which, is, which right. in itself is a pretty sweet idea. Yeah. To help um, her learn the rules. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can like do that, something yeah. like that. Like, there's an idea in itself. Add a character in that's kind of there for new players to kind of teach them how to play the yeah, game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he adds this bard in to be uh, kind of tutorial, and I love this. So he dies, this bard dies, and his daughter asks, where is he going to respond? <laughs> Just like yeah, the video yeah, game yeah. Like, mentality. And so he has to explain to her, he's not going to respond. Like, she, like the guy is dead. Um, and he says that she immediately took measures to protect the body, recover it to a safe location, and immediately began looking for means to resurrect him, um, which led to an, a whole adventurous side quest. I thought that was awesome. Uh, I think, one, it's sweet that he is teaching his daughter how to play D&D. &D. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a great, like, way to connect with your parent and, like, to connect with your kid um, over a game of the imagination. Like, you're you're teaching your kid, like, moral decisions through a game. Yeah. But you're also, like, you're teaching your kid to be imaginative. Right. Which is something I think not, like, a lot of kids get to really do today with Video games and just technology being such a focus for a lot, like the imagination D &D is, is great for. Yeah, the imagination is already created for them. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's really cool. So thank you to both of you guys for sharing these great stories and ideas. Yeah. So without further ado, that's all we have for you for this episode of the Dungeon Masters Block. Thank you again for joining us today. Chris, tell them where they can contact us. Yeah, you can get a hold of us if you want to email us, like a little bit longer stories. You can you can email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. If you feel so inclined, and we would greatly appreciate it. If you like this podcast, go to iTunes 
leave us a five-star review. You'll get a shout-out on the, on the next episode, or one of the future episodes, I should say. Uh, and we would greatly appreciate it. It helps us grow uh, our audience and our community that I know a lot of you have enjoyed it, like interacting with, and we have enjoyed interacting with a lot. You can also find us on Stitcher. Hit us up on there. Uh, follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's DMs block on Twitter. Uh, and also uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, and also find us on Google+. Plus. We've gotten a lot of stuff on Facebook recently. It's yeah. been blowing up. And like I said last time, uh, on Facebook, we're going to be sharing some stuff that you can't find anywhere else. Also, very big and very important here, uh, we are trying to come up with a name for you guys. So the one name that I've already thrown out on Facebook is, uh, would you like to affectionately be called Blockheads? Affectionately, of course. Um, <laughs> the other name that we have is, you guys as a whole, would you like to be called The Block Party? If you have any other ideas, let us know. But if you like one of those ideas, let us know by hashtagging blockheads or hashtagging block party. So let us know on Twitter, on Facebook, or just let us know through email. We'll come back to you with a decision soon on what we are all called. But without any further ado, that's what we have for you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all other people at the table. Have a good night, everyone. Keep on dungeon mastering. Goodbye.